With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions. Welcome to Speak Up for Oneness Media Australia, affiliated with Awake to Oneness Radio in the United States. This program is dedicated to speaking up for oneness in the world. Oneness is a living awareness that we are all one. Many people are awakening across the world to realize what they see in their world is a reflection of themselves. As we take responsibility for our thoughts, our words and actions, we start to experience our world changing. Oneness is the lived experience of peace. My name is Susan Carew. I'm from Speak Up for Oneness Australia and I'm with Jane Offer who is the manager of the Purple Dragonfly here at Warrandyte here in Melbourne. Welcome to the program Jane. Oh thank you Susan. Can you tell us about your background to start with? Well I came originally from England. Um, we came over here in 2007 to retire and I couldn't retire. Um, we had run a natural health centre for 25 years in England and it gets into your blood and it was it's certainly in my blood and retirement didn't work for me. So we started this smaller version of the centre that we had and and here we are in Warrandyte enjoying ourselves and very happy here. That's terrific. Mm. So going back to your very beginnings, what attracted you to healing? My daughter became sick when she was 12 or 13. She's now 43 so it's 30 years ago and it was with a, a condition that at the time wasn't di- couldn't be diagnosed, they wouldn't diagnose it. It was termed as yuppie flu and they didn't really want to have that sort of thing on their books. So it took me on a journey of going through various natural processes to find the thing that would work for her and so we put a combination together and that gave me the passion for healing and I met some amazing healers, people that work with crystals, dowsers, so many people and I took there as much as I could, absorbed all their knowledge and it just started that passion in, in healing. Did you start with traditional doctors? Oh yes, um, they, they couldn't diagnose her, they, they just was not something that in those days was recognised. Yeah, so I, I went the natural route with her. And what did you discover when you went the natural route? What did they find was the cause of the problem for her? She had um, post-viral syndrome which was after supposedly after something like glandular fever but she never had any of those illnesses it just came on and so what we discovered in the process was not only was it physical and the impact was pretty profound physically but it's also associated with the mind process so that gave me the link between the way she was thinking and feeling and what her body was doing as a response to that and once we found the key then it was an easy thing to unravel. So given what you said before about having the experience with lots of healers and crystals and what have you, in terms of your own journey, what did you start with in terms of healing? Oh, in terms of healing, it, it was on that journey because prior to that, I had always seen spirit from a child. I knew from a very young age that we had more than one life. I could remember wow. um, past lives. 
uh, one particular one. I got into trouble at Sunday school for questioning the teacher when she was telling us that Jesus had said this, that and the other and meant this, that and the other. And I said, stood up and said, no, it didn't. And she said, and how would you know? And I said, because I was there. It did not go down well. No, you so, can't be no. questioning the Bible and actually stating you've been there. Absolutely. <laughs> but for me, it was real. And, and I had... As she was talking, I could feel and, and be there. And later on in my life, I was very lucky to go to Israel and actually stand in the place where that story was told. And I could feel it again, and it was just, like, so familiar. How old would you have been when you first became aware that you could connect or speak with spirit? I was about seven when we moved to an area where there were very few houses and there were no children, and I was an only child. Yes. And so I had this array of people that I could actually see that would just come, and they would be adults or older people, children, and so on, and that they would be the people around me. Uh, my parents were working and very hard, and uh, so I was left to my own devices a lot. So these people, did they look physical, like in the sense that you and I are looking at each other and you can see me? Did they look like just a normal person or did they look like an apparition? No, they looked like a a real person and right up until I was 42, I could see that and the last one that I saw spontaneously was a little boy. I was ironing in my kitchen and I saw this child walk up the driveway, walk past the kitchen window and I went out to see what what he wanted and then when I got out there and there was nobody there of course, I realised that he was wearing clothes that weren't of that period of time. And that was the last one that I saw spontaneously. And I thought I'd done something wrong, that it was a punishment, that this had been taken away from me. But what I realised later and was told later, it was, a, it was tra- about trust, building trust in not having a physical sense to see it, but just to know it rather than to have a physical experience of it. Right. That's really interesting, isn't yeah. it? Trust is so yeah. important. Yes. The type of people, you said there was a, um, a line of people... What sort of people were there when you were young that you were seeing? Well, there was one main one, an older older lady who was there a lot of the time that seemed quite a grandmotherly figure. And I could tell her when I was annoyed or upset and those sort of things. And there were a few children that I would play with. Mm-hmm. But there was also a man who would have been about probably 40, but at that age, to me, he seemed very old. And he, he was there quite a lot as well. And he would give me guidance and keep me safe. And as a child, you would have felt very comforted by this group of people yeah. who were there. Absolutely. Did you try to tell your parents that you were seeing people? Once I broached the subject, and after the incident at the, at the Sunday school, I learned very quickly to keep my mouth shut, because they had got no idea, and I knew they didn't understand, and I'd always felt that I was much older than them, and that they just didn't quite get it. There was something that they just weren't seeing, and I, I, I felt different. Very fascinated by your comment about past lives. What past lives do you recall? It was a family that I would belong to that had siblings and a mum and dad. And I spent a long time waiting for them to come to fetch me because they were very real as well. So they were like a real memory to me. Mm-hmm. And I just felt that I, these the people I had been, obviously my parents, my physical parents, uh, were looking after me, but these others were were going to come for me. Your real parents. <laughs> yeah, but they never did, of course. No. And it, it sort of led to a sense of isolation quite yeah. a bit. And there's always been that little loneliness inside of being separated, I suppose. Hmm. Do you remember where they were from? Like, was it from another country? Did you speak another language in that previous... No, it was the same, the same country, but they were very different. They were much more comforting, I think, and there wasn't the restrictions. Obviously, there wouldn't have been the restrictions that you have with physical parents because you've got to behave and you've got to do this and think this way. And certainly in those days, I mean, we're talking 60-odd years ago now. Mm. So that's a long time. What other previous lives did you have a memory of? As a child, I'd always been fascinated by nuns. I went to see the film The Nun Story when I was about nine, and it, it set off this whole... Uh, thing about nuns and it felt very familiar to me even though I'm not particularly religious and certainly would never go and be a nun it felt comfortable and it many years later I had a few regressions done and nuns played a big part in that. And how do you think that this awareness of past lives has shaped the person that you are today? Life has a bigger meaning when when there's no end to life 
it's just a transition. It's, it's a lot more hopeful and joyful in a sense that there is no end. It's just another beginning. And I, I had a, um, a friend who had a, a child that had cystic fibrosis. And in those days, they only lived to be in their teens. And this child died when she was 16. She was really bad. She was the most beautiful child. And I can remember speaking to her father. And he was into this whole idea that her life had been pointless. She'd struggled. She'd suffered. And he was very angry and, and devastated. Obviously, losing a child is a terrible thing. But he could see no point in her life. And I thought, what a sad and lonely thing that was for him, because there was no hope in it. And I think when we don't have hope, we, we don't have anything. Hope's a really important part of, of being human, I think. So moving forward to when you first became a healer and you were surrounded by all these wonderful people. Now, this was in the UK. Yes. And you set up a centre. Yes, what was it called again? It started off as the Rainbow Centre and it morphed into the Spectrum Health Trust, which um, it became more. We did government projects, we worked in prisons and so on. But in the early days, running it through the home, it was focused on healing. And we had a lot of healers that would come and do healing on people and a lot of people that came for healing. We had usually about 200 people a week through the house. And so it got a little bit out of hand. So we bought a commercial building that had been offices. And so we had several therapy rooms. So it became much more organized, shall we say. But I loved it. And to give it up, to retire there, that was the hardest thing to leave that because it was my baby, if you like. And it was so important to me. And we saw so many people's lives transformed through the various therapies that were going on there. Could you give some examples of some of the elements that people had and some of the therapies that were used and the outcomes of that? We had everything from cancer. We had one lady with a brain tumour and she had been given three months to live. She came along and she actually lived for five years. Um, she ran a marathon. She made a CD for fundraising. She healed a great big rift in her family. And then one weekend, she just said to her husband, I'm done. And she went to bed on the Friday night, stayed in bed all day, called her family in and died on the Sunday morning. And we got a letter and we were very nervous thinking, oh my goodness, this woman has died. And we're going, it's going to be the healer's fault. And <laughs> But it was the most beautiful, uplifting yeah. um, letter. And it was thanking us for giving her that time. And all, all we did was just work with her to give her hope again and, and her own strength carried her through. When you say you worked on her, did you work on her through her self-esteem or was it hands-on healing? It was hands-on healing, usually with, with my husband. He, he was the one that treated her mainly. And I sat with her a lot because my background was I was a counsellor and not a, not a process I particularly enjoyed. So I changed it into the way that worked for me and that sat comfortable for, for me. And it was much very empowering for, for the people that came along. What sort of process works for you in terms of counselling? When, when you have counselling training, you have to go through counselling yourself. And it got to the stage where the lady that was the person that I was working with would say to me, and how does that make you feel? And I would get so annoyed because I wanted her to say to me, well, have you thought of this or could you try that? So at least give something of suggestion, not, not directive, but suggestion that I could perhaps try and use her knowledge to become my wisdom. Because people can tell you stuff, yeah. but unless you use it and make it your own, then it never becomes yours. It's always somebody else's. So you're very action-orientated, and I guess others need to be heard could be the mm. difference, if you like. Maybe. You are, you're, yeah. you're looking for solutions. Yeah, but their solutions. I'm trying mm. to find... I, I like them to find their own, own solutions, but it's also sometimes giving people permission to do mm. the very thing they're afraid of. Yes. And when they know they've got permission to do anything, even if it's from somebody like me who has no emotional tie into it, and so it really doesn't matter, but just to hear it is enough for them to be able to look at it more clearly and see it from the other side of the coin. And then they're thinking outside the box and off they go. It's, mm. And that's how really I feel it should be, that it's on their terms and it shouldn't be month after month of going over the same thing. It's about, okay, this is a situation. Let's look at it differently. What have you learned from it? What gold have you found in it? What do you know about you that you can now utilise to move on? That's wonderful. Mm. So the Wellness Centre, um, how long did that run for in Britain? 25 years. 
Yes, a very long time. Long time. You must have had tens of thousands of people. We had, we had a lot of people, a lot of people, and we were we worked in America too, um, and that was very interesting. And also worked in prisons in Ireland and in the UK, which was also very interesting. What yeah. sort of healing would you have done in the prisons? Oh, it was very surreptitious. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, so um, undercover. We, we, yes, undercover. <laughs> what we put together was a program, an eight-week program that these these young men did. They were young offenders on the drugs unit, and um, we we did we worked with colour with them and just different exercises. We we used the um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross grief curve, right. which showed them how their stresses had created certain circumstances and they actually redesigned it and to show us how their cycle had happened so instead of it being a curve it became a circle and so they were using drugs to for the release technique but it was short-lived and then they'd be back into the the cycle it was fascinating and they were so insightful and one of them came to visit us with his family his child and everything after he'd been released and we also had a letter from another prison way down in the country um, asking us to go and do a program there from one of the one of the guys that was um, an inmate because one of these ones that we had worked with had been transferred and he'd taken his manual with him and he'd seen the manual and he wanted the, the program but of course it was government funded and so it wasn't possible to do but um, we suggested some books to him and different different methods that he could use so hopefully he did did just that. What did you learn from the people who were on drugs as to the cause of why they were on drugs and how to get off drugs? The, we found with, with two particular ones that we found out why when the, the actual people that were working with them didn't know. One had, he was very, very close to his brother and his brother had phoned him one day and said to him, I'm on my way, I'm at Dad's and I'm on my way and it was just round the corner. Well, when he didn't arrive after an hour, he set out and walked to his father's house and found the brother's car upside down in the ditch with his brother dead inside. And he was devastated. And his friend, um, a few days later, could see how bad he was. And he said, here, try this. This will make you feel better. And it was heroin. And he became an addict very quickly to that because obviously it gave him that nurtured, uplifting feeling. And he, that's what he needed. And the people working with him didn't know that. And another one was completely guilt-ridden because he thought that he'd caused his mother to have a heart attack because of the worry of what he was doing. And these these were kids. They, they were, you know, they laid on the bed because we always gave them a treatment. Um, and we always said it was like an acupressure treatment um, when, in fact, it was blatant healing. And as they laid there with their eyes closed, they could have been either of our sons. You know, they were that sort of age. And they weren't bad kids. They had just, they were just doing something that wasn't socially acceptable and they were using crime to feed that habit. But their argument was that it's a release technique, something for release, similar to smoking, drinking, gambling, shopping, uh, being a workaholic, going to the gym mm -hmm. and being obsessive about that. And they said it's just that some are socially acceptable and some, some aren't, but the, the reason is for the same purpose. And I thought, how insightful these kids are. You know, we need to listen to them because they're the ones that know the answers and something isn't being met for them. It was just a very amazing experience. We were so lucky. So how would they heal that addiction? What would be a trigger? What would be the thing that would help them to release, if you like, that addiction? It would be different for everyone. You know, one of them, um, he had a six-year-old and when, we, when he was doing this, the curve and the circle he said he could see exactly where his his six-year-old was on this curve and he was heading in a very similar direction and he said he was going to put stop to it because before he got to that stage mm. I think it's knowledge and understanding of the self and to understand that they're not a waste of space and bad people which is what society sometimes mm. lays on them. Mm. Prison often can. Yeah. It's about understanding that it's an apprenticeship to life. To me, that's what it is. They have made a decision. It's taken them down a path. Here's the outcome. Do they like the outcome? If they don't, they don't need to make that mistake again. So they can break it for themselves when they come to the understanding, if they choose. Yeah. And there's help and, and ways of doing it. You can use crystals and all sorts of different ways certain drops and, and things that you can make up that are homeopathic remedies. Those sort of things will help them. 
how would they help them, those homeopathic remedies? It works, homeopathy works on every level. So it works with the person rather than the condition, whereas most things are working with the condition and suppressing it and, and treating it, not, and the person just sort of is like a tag on, like a shoelace. But in fact, it's the person themselves and the makeup of that person that then the illness is attached to. So if you work with the person, it's amazing what you can do. So would that be, in a sense, returning them to wholeness? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely, and knowing that they are this amazing, incredible person. And often they have incredible strength, which they don't realise. Because to come, to give up anything that's an addiction, Mm. it's a very powerful thing. And it it takes a great amount of strength and huge courage to step out of a pattern to do that. So they they have great strength. So it's wonderful that you had that experience of the jails. And where else did you work? Well, we worked um, in Ireland. We went Mm. on to the the women's prison there on the life uh, Mm. life term Mm -hmm. wing. And that was a very interesting one because they had their children with them until they're five. And then the children, they can't have them after five. And they were beautiful women as well. Very, one particular one, I'll never forget, she was just like somebody's grandmother. And she was a gentle, spoken, very kindly, beautiful woman. Um, But she was in there for murder. We didn't know, of course, and we happened to be in the local power in the evening because my husband wanted to try Guinness in Ireland, naturally. And her her picture came up on the television, on the news, and she had, had murdered three men. But it was a, you know, political, religious thing, and it was none of our business. But she was the most beautiful lady. But her, it was obviously her passion, and that was the way she went about it, which, you know, isn't necessarily the best way to go, but it was her journey. Yeah, and I guess an experience that very few people would come across, and someone like this. Yeah. Who's quite at odds with the perception of someone who murders. That's right. So it just shows you everybody's different. They are. And we've also, we have to monitor, I believe, how we see these things. Because we're very quick as a, as a human race to judge and put people in categories. And, you know, you, you see a homeless person, for example, and immediately it's, oh, they're druggies, they're a waste of space, they're this, they're that. And they're not. They could be there for many, many reasons. And because of the, the whole past life thing and, and the remembering and everything, I, I knew very, very young that we're all on this journey. And our journey is our particular journey. And we create that journey. And if ever we say, well, we didn't have a choice, that's not true. We, we do have a choice. Even if we're in a situation where, that we can't get out of, we have a choice of how we approach it or view it. And so, yeah, I, I just think it's all, it's all to do with oneness. It all comes to that whole being and if you go down the route of drugs and you come out of it it's a very important knowing about yourself well pain can often be the greatest teacher that leads you towards that sense of oneness when you decide okay i'm, I'm done with this yes <laughs> i'm choosing this. this exactly yeah and how would you know if you hadn't made a choice that led you down a path if you don't like the outcome how would you know that mm-hmm. if you didn't make the choice and so many of us are scared of making the choices so we get stuck. Yeah, and certainly there's wisdom around the idea of you need to know who you're not in order to find who you really are. Oh, absolutely. So how do mm. we how do we discover these things unless we make a, yeah. a few what we would call wrong terms, but perhaps yeah. they're not. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't believe there's anything any such thing as a mistake. Yeah. I think everything is a learning curve, and yeah. from everything we do, something good comes out of it. I mean. I learned to drive a car and I could not back around a corner. I could, could not get my head around the way those wheels went. And I was in the middle of the road and up the path. But ultimately, with the mistakes I made, I learned how to do it. And I, some would say I could drive backwards better than I drive forwards. But <laughs> <laughs> That's but, hilarious. Yeah. So, so, you know, we have to, it, we do learn. From, from making those decisions. Well, that's right. <laughs> you know, all the dints. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So what would you say would be the critical turning points of your life? Oh, I would say, obviously, my, my daughter's illness would be one of the main ones because that actually gave me the opportunity then to step into what I truly believed about life and that, you know, we create situations for ourselves and and the illness is part of that that was a major point and then I had I had a weekend I went on a weekend seminar with a group of friends to see David Icke and that was very much a turning point too he brought a lot of clarity particularly in past lives 
There's been so many, you know, everything's a turning point, isn't it? It's just part of the next step forward and coming yeah. here and, yeah. you know, um, perhaps um, getting married and yeah. obviously having children yes. and then the end of the marriage and another marriage and so on. So, you know, they're all different little steps on the journey, aren't they? It's fascinating, isn't it? It and is. And how you don't realise at the time that your life is being redirected, uh, you know, into another direction because of someone you've met or something you've heard. It only makes sense when you look back on it and yeah. join the dots. While you're yeah. living it, it can be a bit of a nightmare sometimes. Yeah, well, that's... Oh, my goodness, what's going on here? You know, when did I sign up for this? You, you know, we do. We write this journey before we can, mm. I believe. Mm. Which so, is fascinating, yeah. isn't it? So, in a sense, even that statement that you've just said sort of creates that idea that there are no victims if we're writing our own story. Yeah, I've heard it said there are no victims on this planet, only volunteers. Well, see, people would say, well, surely there are victims. You only have to look at Syria today to yeah. see that that's being bombed. Those people yeah. are clearly innocent. Yes. What would you say to something like that? It's all part of their contribution to people's awareness because it's like anything. You have a child is murdered and there's an outrage. And so, you know, a, a paedophile register is created or a law there was a girl in in England who was murdered she was nine and her name was Sarah Payne I will never forget she was actually murdered by a relative who who was a registered paedophile but nobody knew in the family because at that time it wasn't open knowledge and the parents to their absolute credit took this little girl's life and made it mean something and they passed Sarah's law which meant that all parents could go to their their local office and see if there were paedophiles living in the in the area, and they would know. Um, so they made made that terrible, terrible thing into something really positive. So that's a really powerful point that you've made too. And my mind goes back to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that Eleanor Roosevelt mm. was involved in formulating it. And of course, that came out of fifty million deaths yes. in the Second World War. Yeah. So whilst what we're saying here is that tragedies do occur, but what's interesting to look for is what comes out of these things. And can we learn from the past or do we make the same mistake again in the future? I think whilst we place the responsibility in other people's hands, we will continue to make mistakes. When we group together as the general public and make a statement and ask for something to be changed... The power of the people is really, really strong. There was an instance in England, they passed a, a thing called the poll tax, which was a levy on houses, uh, like a rates levy. And each house was its per capita. So you could have two houses next door to each other, one with an elderly lady in and one with a family of five. And they would pay five times more than her for the same house. So it really wasn't a good thing. They tried to introduce it in Sweden and to a man, they refused to pay. All of them, the whole of the country said, <laughs> no, we're not paying this. What are they going to do then? And I'm not um, saying, you know, we should become anarchistic and, you know, all that sort of thing. But when we stand up and make it clear that this is not good enough in one way or another and stand for that and stand within it and live each, each moment of our day within that truth, individually together we can create so much well it's interesting you use the word truth i mean ultimately you know people think that if they make a stand that they're somehow being rebellious yeah. or they're somehow doing the wrong thing mm. or they may well be targeted yeah. and fear tends to shut them down mm. whereas you're reflecting on the fact that they're actually just speaking their truth and yeah. of course anyone can do that non-violently yeah and Absolutely. that's democratic isn't it it's of course and it's really important that it's done lovingly too yeah because the people who are doing perhaps something like bombing syria for them, it's a it's a, a thing of rightness. I mean, you see it in with Israel and Palestine. You know, which one is right? They're each suffering because this other person has, or this other group of people has has killed their their people. So let's do the same thing back, and it goes backwards and forwards. And where does it end? And that, of course, is that philosophy of revenge, isn't it? It doesn't um, work. Counter counter strike. Mm. No, it just perpetuates um, the arms industry and it keeps them fighting and locked into a drama of which they can't seem to exactly. find their way out. Exactly. You know, what, what could you do in, as a healer looking at a situation like that? What do you think could be done in order to help those people heal? Which particular people? It could be Israel, Palestine, yeah. it could be Syria, it could be well, in any conflict. There's, zone. there's a, a lot of groups go around and there's one particular group and I can't remember who they're, what they're called... But they actually went to Berlin 
and they were there for a month and they were young men that, that um, I think there was a group of 20 of them and they meditated mm. at the wall and overnight it came down it had been there ever since I could remember and I do think that the power of the mind can be used in that way energetically we can sit and visualize it being healed to stand up and actually go and do something I, I don't know quite what we would if I knew the answer to that one there, there would be peace in this world and you know Things yes. would be wonderful. <laughs> and certainly meditation might be a good place to start. Yeah, exactly. Because at least right. we're reflecting and we're being still. I think it starts with the individual. Mm. You know, if we, if, if we each stand for what we believe, and that is, is truth, and we discover as much as we can about ourselves, it has to drain the negative energy out of the, out of the world. And then when there's no negative energy to feed on, these things will naturally die out. Well, that's right. And, and I guess if you're in a constant state of positivity or you're endeavouring to mm. be, be positive as much as possible, then you're not drawing to yourself any negative that's right. thoughts. Well, I say where the mind flows, energy energy goes. Mm. So that's I, true. I, I, true, I do believe that. You can create all sorts of dramas for yourself if you believe in them. Well, I think most people would probably agree with that because focus is what is advocated if you want to create something. You have to focus on it. Yeah. And often become single-minded about it mm. and, and just see that as the only outcome and you eventually will achieve mm. your goal no matter what it is. Well, everything that was created in this world by humans started with a thought first. They put action behind it and it becomes a reality. Mm. And we all do. We all know about affirmations and those sort of things and we're, we think, oh, we can't do them. But actually we're extremely good at them because we are reinforcing all the time, I'm not good enough, I don't have enough money. I'm not tall enough, thin enough, rich enough, whatever it may be. And we reinforce that constantly. And that is our reality. You've got to be so mindful of your thoughts. Of your thoughts, exactly yes. right. Yes. And you may yeah. note, if you are mindful, you may note that it turns up in your reality. That's right. You keep at it. <laughs> it is. And, and they say, you know, what you fear will, will come to you. And all I can say is I'm terribly frightened of Johnny Depp, but I'm still not seeing him. <laughs> Is that, is that with all the scissors? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what would you say are the key lessons that you've learned in your life? Well, patience is, is one of the ones that has been my journey, and I've not mastered that one yet because <laughs> there's just never a, you know, I just want You're it, and I want it now. <laughs> um, That's right. I think it, it is that trust was a, was a big thing for me to trust in what I feel and know and sense within, trusting what I. I feel is right for me and not listening to what other people think is right for me or listen to it and then decide whether it works or not. Uh, I think I think trust is, is the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. And love, of course. I mean, everything everything can be resolved through love. And, uh, you know, you fight anger with anger and all you get is more anger. And it's just a waste of time. So, you know, people do what they do because it's what they do. They're not doing it to be difficult um, in most cases. They don't sit there in the morning and think, oh, well, I'm just going to plan to upset her today. They're busy doing what they do. And I think ultimately everybody is seeking love in one way or another. And if one can sit with a person with that type of mindset, they're more likely to feel heard Mm. at the very least. I think so, because, you know, when you... And I'm not talking about soppy love, you know, that sort of... And I'm not talking about romantic love. I'm talking about honouring the other person that has a right to be who they are and also not judging their decisions or, or making them feel anything less than they are because we're all incredible, amazing beings and we've gotten far more power and skill and amazingness than we would ever imagine. And I think um, we can never know what the purpose of another person's life is no. and really who are we to judge the path of someone else. They might need to go through these hardships in order to find these nuggets of gold. That's right. Yeah, which they grow from. One of the, the ladies that helped us to work in the prison, particularly the Irish prison, she worked in a high security prison and with young, young people. And her take on the whole thing was that these were the brave souls that chose that direction so that we could look at it and know not to make those decisions ourselves. And if we look at the people around us and take on board from them the good stuff and take on board that's the outcome of that decision that's what jealousy looks like that's what rage looks like that's what you know nastiness looks like and then we can choose not to not to go down that path and this is again how it becomes 
framed as the teacher. I often see people who have given me grief in my life, or yeah. I've given myself grief yeah. through my perception of the situation. Yeah. <laughs> they are my greatest teachers. Of course. The hardest knocks are the, are the best teachers. And it's not easy for those others too to be going through a life that is so turbulent or painful that they need to project onto another person something that's unkind mm. or bullying. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, Great wisdom. Now, coming to the oneness question, what does oneness mean to you? I think for me, a saying that I heard once was, if you can sit with yourself mm-hmm. and love the company you keep, then you really have mastered your own soul and I think that is what oneness is it's about being comfortable always with what you say what you think and how you act and if you can do that in reality not kidding yourself either because we're pretty good at that as human beings too but it's always that inner knowing that will never lie to you and I guess that that's even the same thing as if you've done something wrong but you can find a place of forgiveness within yourself yes. so you're not carrying guilt because the guilt is it's destructive can, yes guilt and, and jealousy are the two most destructive emotions you can have they eat away at you nobody knows you have it and it just devours you so there is no point to it so if you make a decision and it doesn't turn out how how you thought it would look at it and acknowledge it acknowledge your responsibility in it and apologize for that to yourself and to the other anyone else involved and don't make it their fault i think apologies is something that's not done a lot these days and yet it can release yourself and the other so quickly within a couple of Mm. seconds yeah why do you think apology is so important because it's an acknowledgement of your own part in in the situation you know that we're so good at the the problem is always over there it's it well it's their fault okay it's the weather it's the government it's my mother whoever you know and we're so good at that but in fact you know if we can start with us and think okay i could have done that slightly better you know that and we we take that responsibility on it it makes huge shifts and whilst the problem lies with someone else you have no control over it you have to then wait for that person to change well they might not so then what are you going to do be stuck in it it doesn't make sense you know so acknowledge that you don't like that situation so change it and if you can't change it change your attitude to it and i think too that also enables people to lead by example yeah so if you're modeling taking responsibility for your own actions by Mm. acknowledging that um, you might have made a mistake and you're sorry or you're even just sorry that they're sad about the yeah. situation and you wish it could have been yeah. different yeah. you know that creates that beautiful space for growth and for the next person to practice that with someone mm. else mm. otherwise we're in a world of unacknowledged mm. situations mm. where people aren't actually healing from the mistakes mm. that have been made as they go into denial and they suppress yeah. and as we as we know a lot of the ill effects or disease or That's disease right. is coming from suppression yeah of our emotions absolutely and also we put ourselves down within it i had one mm. lady who was brought to me many years ago now and she she was brought to me by her second husband her first her marriage had been ruined because she had been raped when she was a teenager and she'd gone out with a friend who'd set her up on a blind date they'd gone for a walk and this guy had raped her she went home and told her parents and in those days it was always the girl's fault so to protect her they said say nothing just let's you know forget it for her it translated as they didn't care so that set off a whole guilt thing and that it was there was something not decent about it and it was dirty and she was absolutely convinced that the the girl the friend knew about it and so she sort of cut away from her a bit and she was just really went through these cycles of depression and she finally she was in her 50s she was brought brought along and she hadn't had a wash for a week and she'd been laid on the sofa and this husband didn't know what to do with her and we talked about it and she went through it and explained and over, I saw her about three times and I encouraged her to go and talk to the friend and ask her if she actually knew and we talked about what it was like in those days and, and she understood that the parents did really did it for her protection but she didn't see that so she did a forgiveness process with them um, obviously they passed on but she still did the, the forgiveness with them so that brought a whole different level of peace to her and then we finally worked with the, the guy himself and she did a whole forgiveness because every moment that he was having that power still over her he might as well have been raping her every day but by releasing her him, him and the, the power of it 
from her she could move on and and she did and she she was she didn't go through that cycle of depression again and of course that's what happens to a lot of people if they don't let go of the past they carry it with them yeah and so whilst the event in reality is not as bad as what you recall from the event as you suffer and suffer and suffer so again that healing is in the thought process isn't it absolutely it's releasing the power of it because it's an underlying power that keeps you tied to it and when she spoke to this this lady uh, her friend she had no idea she had absolutely no idea and all her for like 30 years this woman had believed this girl was looking down on her mm. because and that she was some dirty person because of what had happened and she, the girl had no idea and she was absolutely horrified and she then felt that she played a part because she'd set the date up mm. and they talked about it and they got that result so the whole thing was resolution right the way mm. through and it was it was really good and it's not difficult to do because it's a very quick process mm. of cutting that power and you know it can be done in any way you don't have to be face to face with mm. the person and what's fascinating too about the psychological aspect of that is that i think a lot of suffering these days is psychological yeah you know therefore the healing when it works on rebalancing or harmonizing conflict mm. so it's a form of conflict resolution but it's just done in a way that brings up emotions like gratitude Mm. where you're bringing in a positive feeling towards something that was very Mm. difficult Mm. and then releasing it. That's right. And and she could see finally the strength because even though she'd had this really bad experience with this Mm. young man, she got married twice Mm. and so she'd allowed love to come into her life. She'd Mm. obviously, she'd got children so there'd been Mm. that intimacy so it hadn't wrecked that. So that was her personal strength but she had missed that. She hadn't Mm. seen that she was still open and a loving person but she was just tied into this whole and I think it was mainly because the parents, she didn't feel the parents had acknowledged it Mm. but they were, it was the time, Mm. you know, in those days it was just terrible for a girl to go to court for rape. It was just a horrendous experience. And she was always nine times out of ten blamed for the for it happening at all. Mm. Yeah, it just shows you the power of, of these events. Yeah. And if they're not resolved, mm. um, what can happen to a oh. person? But again, looking back over it all, everything has happened as it's meant to to bring her to that point with you. Yeah. You know, where you could yeah. she could have that experience of forgiveness. And what I learned from her, you know. Because, mm. you know, who is the student? Who's the teacher? Yeah, exactly. You know, we learn from everyone. Everybody's a teacher in one way or another. Yeah, and every day I set out and I want to know something that I didn't know yesterday. Oh, I love that. (laughs) So it's always an adventure and it's always something exciting and every day there's something that comes up and I've got my grandson on it now because I said to him, you know, you, you must try and learn something. So now he'll come from school and he'll say to me, oh, did you know starfish has got eyes on the end of its of its legs and that it can grow a new leg and so he started that finding interesting facts that um, are, are amazing and there is amazing world out there that often we can forget is out there mm. because we get so sort of waylaid by our own concerns and worries yeah, yeah. and yet there is something always magical oh, happening the world it? is magical isn't it it is absolutely now my last question to you is what do you see in the future have you got a crystal ball oh <laughs> gosh <laughs> For me, or for the world, or all of, or all of it. Yeah. Well, for me personally, it's it's that continuing journey of learning, and yeah. I fully intend to be live to live an extremely long time. Great, to, basically to annoy my kids. <laughs> but um, you know, it's uh, and I'm loving the age I'm at because you know it, it might seem older. You know, to find a seven combined with a zero is a bit um, daunting. That would be 70. That would be 70, yeah. (laughs) And and that, you know, when I was young, I'd think of somebody who was 70 was really old, but I feel about 20. And, you know, I just want to... I just want to continue learning more and, and I want to see the changes in the world that I would I would love to see, you know, the empowerment of individuals, the the children being allowed to blossom and not being pushed into a mould like we were in the 50s, you know, you or the 40s, oh gosh, the 40s. <laughs> sort of tried to skirt around that <laughs> um you know that this was the mold and you yeah. you were seen and not heard and so on and and you had to behave in a certain way these new kids are just questioning all the time and 
Sometimes they're seen as being rude, but in fact they're not. What they're questioning is us to say, how valid is that rule? Does that work, you know? And again, my grandson's a great teacher, and he, he said, came to me one day and he said, you know, Nana, I just do not understand the rules because they change all the time. And so how, how can you ever work out the rules? And so we had this long conversation about it, and I said, well, you know, you're not allowed to go in the road because why would you not? And he said, well, I might get run over. And I said, but well, how would you get to the other side? You've got to cross the road to do it. So I said, how would you do that? And he said, with safety and being, being aware. And I said, and that's how you live life. Be safe and be aware, but still cross the road. That's a wonderful bit of advice, isn't it? Well, they'd have to blossom, don't they? They've yeah. got to be, you know, you can't make a, a little daisy into a rose, can you? Or a rose into a daisy. They're, they are what they are. And they, they need to be allowed to blossom. And, yeah. you know, we don't care whether they're... Yeah, as long as they're mindful of other people, and that's another thing. Teach teach them mindfulness mm-hmm. and awareness of others' feelings. But apart from that, just mm-hmm. let them be. Because they'll find their own way. Of course they their, We've all got equal wisdom. Exactly. Yeah. And they are great teachers, the children. So I'd like to see changes in education, because I was a teacher um, many years ago, and I, I'd love to see, see the whole education system change slightly. In what um, way? Allowing a more freedom. I never understood... How you can write an English essay and they mark it for, for punctuation and spelling. But if you write a history essay, they mark it for content and the punctuation and spelling don't matter. That's how it was when I was at school. So, mm-hmm. And you think, how does that work? Because if you're writing something, that's how it is. So, And how can you mark art? You know, a child paints a painting and they say, well, that's wrong. That doesn't work. Well, says who? If it's coming from the child's heart and it's their vision. I mean, you imagine having Picasso as a student in your class. And you had to write the, the end of year report. What would you put for Picasso? Pretty flowers. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, there's a need to see a psychiatrist. Yeah, it's a bit you blurry. Know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, because how can how can that be right or wrong? It just is what it is. And that's what needs to happen. I think. So maybe what you're saying there is it's really about people's expression rather than conforming across yeah. a sort of a standard guideline yeah. in respecting that diversity. Um, but then how to teach for that diversity I think you just said the word, respect, Mm -hmm. honouring the other, learning by passion and finding the the way forward that interests the child rather than cramming it full with stuff that it doesn't perhaps need later on. There's a lot of stuff I learned at school, which is a long time ago now, as you you realise, that a lot of it's been proven to be wrong. So probably about 75% of what I was taught at school is absolutely wrong now. So, you know, I know how many cod were caught off the coast of uh, Iceland. Well, there aren't any cod in the North Sea now because they've fished them to death, to extinction virtually. So, you know, how valid and important is that to me? Whereas if I could have learned stuff about that actually I am a good person and that I, you know, I can do this or that and not be told, no, you can't, could do better. How do they know? If I could do better, empower me then. Yeah, so empowerment's the key word there, isn't it? Mm, exactly. And would that sort of apply for what you see in the future of the actual world itself? Yeah, because I think, you know, if we if we each undertake personal empowerment, it brings then forward compassion. And if you have compassion, you can feel the other person's feelings. And then it's very difficult to hurt someone or do something against them because it brings in then your own ethics and authenticity of life. And in that way, it will just be a roll-on effect. It will be a ripple effect that goes across everybody. And people will just not worry about the things they worry about and just focus on the things that are important. The last question I'll ask you is, what does the purple dragonfly mean? Well, the name. Yeah. Well, the purple is is just a beautiful colour because it is the colour for connection. Yeah. From my estimation, that's how I feel about it. And the dragonfly, it has a very short lifespan, so it teaches us to live every day as though, you know, with passion, as though it's your last. And also it is um, a thing for change. It's a transformational symbol. So, yes, it had to be the purple dragonfly. It did, and, and certainly change is inevitable, isn't it? <laughs> yes, that's right. And, and a lot of people that have come through the doors, you know, they, they find their way here mm-hmm. and they say, I just knew we had to come mm-hmm. and then something will be said or something will happen. Say, that's what I needed to hear today. And, and that's uh, exactly what happened when I found you. I felt moved to come and see you. I just suddenly got that feeling and that's when we met. Yeah. So yes, I can certainly testify to that. Yeah. Now, if anybody wants to contact you, Jane, uh, what would be the best way that they could do that? Well, there's the, the phone number. They could phone the shop. We've got a website. We've got, we're on Facebook. Certainly like us on Facebook and then you get all the posts and everything that and everything that's going on here 
it then leads you to the website with blogs and information and all sorts of things. Could you repeat the website address? Yes, it's www.thepurpledragonfly.com.au And the telephone number if they want to call you? is 03-9844-5294. And that's here in Warrandyte, Australia. I'd like to thank you, Jane Offer, for being on the program. It's been a real delight to learn from your wonderful experience of 70 years, which feels like probably you've filled 7,000 years with with all the things that you've learned. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing. Well, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Susan. You have been listening to Speak Up for Oneness Media in Melbourne, Australia. That was an interview with Jane Offer, who is the manager of the Purple Dragonfly, a retail and healing centre in Warrandyte, Melbourne, Australia. If you would like to be interviewed on this program and you have an interesting story about oneness or perhaps a mysterious story that's unexplainable that has led you to a sense that we are all one, then please contact Susan Carew at World Peaceful and the website is www.worldpeacefull.com So that's worldpeaceful.com Thank you and may every day bring to you the peace of knowing that we are all one. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.